morning, everybody. Let's pray. Loving Father, we pray that you would um, help us to think rightly about our relationship with you and um, put us back on the right track if we've strayed off it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes when I catch up with people as their pastor, I ask them, how are things between you and God? Uh, And I realise that's a somewhat strange and awkward question and uh, sort of puts people on the spot a little bit, but it's an important question and it can be revealing. Um, I've noticed that quite often when I ask that question, straight away people talk about how often they've been reading their Bible. Uh, And often they say, well, not enough, I'd like to read it more. And that tells me one of two things. Uh, Either they define their relationship with God by how often they read their Bible or they assume that I judge their relationship with God by how often they read their Bible. And either way, the question that it raises is, does the quality of one's relationship with God depend on what that person is doing to hold up their end of the relationship? And how hard is it to hold up our end of a relationship with God? I think a lot of people assume that it's quite hard. Uh, You have to do very well and maintain a standard. Uh, Even people who believe in the grace of God often think you have to do X amount of Bible reading and prayer and evangelism and serving, etc., etc., or things are not good between you and God. Uh, There's perhaps some truth there, of course, but there's also a huge potential untruth in thinking that way. Sometimes we struggle with what Jesus said at the end of Matthew 11. If you've got your Bible open to Matthew 12, perhaps you'd look back to the end of Matthew 11 and we read this in the communion service. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You will struggle with that if you think your relationship with God goes up and down with your performance. Uh, you will think, this is not restful. This burden is not easy nor light. This is hard work, all this Bible reading and praying and Christian stuff, and I don't feel like I'm very good at it. Most of us probably feel that way. But if we think that the burden's on us to hold, hold up our end of a relationship with God, then we are in fact giving our efforts too much credit and ignoring the grace of Christ And we are moving towards legalism, which means living under law. Uh, We're going to spend a few weeks looking at Matthew 12, the next few weeks, uh, which contains three examples of people disrespecting or underestimating Jesus. And this first example, the Pharisees underestimate Jesus and get his relationship with the law wrong. And that has big implications for how we view our relationship with God. They assume that Jesus came to tell us how to follow the law. And the particular issue here is rest. Jesus promised rest at the end of chapter 11, but then Matthew shows us the Pharisees wanting to argue with Jesus over the nature of of God's rest. Uh, Is rest defined by the Jewish Sabbath law or by Jesus and his grace? And this is something we need to sort out. The big broader issue here is, is Jesus under the law? Is Jesus against the Old Testament law or is he over the law? Where does Jesus stand in relation to the law? Where do Christians stand in the relation to the law? Does our relationship with God go up and down with our performance against some standard? Well, the Pharisees challenge Jesus here because they don't see the extent of his authority that he is in fact over the law. 
So in verses 1 to 8, that's what we see. Jesus is over, not under the law. If Jesus were just another rabbi, he would be under the law and his job would be to teach the law like all the other rabbis. And it's on that basis that the Pharisees challenge Jesus here, verses 1 and 2. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to Jesus, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, technically, under rabbinic law, they probably were, the disciples were probably working as they picked the grain and ate, and ate it. So they were breaking the law in the mildest of ways. The Jewish Sabbath laws have been described as mountains hanging by a thread. Uh, the Bible gives this little thread um, about the Sabbath, that is, don't work on the Sabbath, but the Jews hung mountains of legislation of this, off this thread and arguing about what was work and what was not work was one of their favourite pastimes. What are we allowed to do on the Sabbath and not do? The assumption was that the law was the ultimate authority but Jesus points to three bits of the Old Testament to show that, in fact, the authority of the law was not absolute. The law wasn't ever meant to be the be-all and end-all of a relationship with God. Sometimes other considerations trumped the law. So the first reference, verses 3 and 4, is King David eating the sacred bread from the house of God when he and his men were on the run, 1 Samuel 21. He was the Lord's anointed one. And his needs in that situation trumped the law. So the letter of the law is not absolute. The second reference in verses 5 and 6 is the fact that the priests work every Sabbath to keep the temple going. So every Sabbath, the priests are in there in the temple breaking the law. The temple trumps the law, in other words. And then Jesus adds this note, and now one greater than the temple is here. So the letter of the law is not absolute. The temple trumped the law and now Jesus trumps the temple. So if the authority of the law was not absolute over David or over the temple, it's definitely not absolute over Jesus. The third reference in verse 7 is a quote from Hosea 6 where God says to the people, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And the context of that, uh, that um, word in Hosea was that the hearts of the people were far away from God, but they thought they were fine because they were getting the rituals right. They were obeying the letter of the law and doing the sacrifices. And God said, I don't care about the rituals and the sacrifices. I care about your hearts. Again, the letter of the law was, is not absolute. It's the relationship that matters. So Jesus says something a little bit enigmatic in verse 8. His disciples are innocent because the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, his authority trumps the authority of the law. That's why his disciples were innocent. They ate the grain under Jesus' authority. The law was never intended as the ultimate ruler of God's people. It was always intended as a temporary authority to hold on to God's people until the ultimate ruler came. And so if you're a Christian, you are not under the authority of the law. You are under a greater authority. You're under the authority of Jesus. But the question is, um, how seriously does Jesus take the law? Does he care if his followers go around breaking the law? He let them pick, pick heads of grain on the Sabbath. Uh, is he therefore okay with us going around and 
murdering and stealing and fornicating and dishonouring our parents and other things that the law prohibits? How much does Jesus care about the law that he has come to eclipse? Well, that's the issue that's taken up in the next section, verses 9 to 14, uh, which tells us, shows us that Jesus is with, not against, the law. So this second episode is another instance of Jesus breaking the laws of the Jews in the mildest of ways in order to make a point. The point was not that Jesus was anti-law. It was that Jesus had the authority to know what the law really wanted and he could deliver it better than the law ever could. So it demonstrates that while Jesus was not under the law, he was nevertheless the best friend that the law ever had. So in verse 9, he goes into a synagogue. The Pharisees are all there. And in verse 10, a man with a shriveled hand. They ask Jesus whether it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath, which was a challenge because they knew that his reflex would be to heal this man. The Jews held uh, that if the situation was life-threatening, you could help somebody on the Sabbath. But if it wasn't life-threatening, then it wasn't permitted this situation wasn't life-threatening. Presumably the guy's hand had been shriveled for years. Um, the question, therefore, is why couldn't Jesus honour the Sabbath by waiting until the sun went down and then healing the man? Wouldn't have cost anyone anything, surely. But Jesus then asks a deeper question. Why is the law there in the first place? As Lord of the Sabbath, he is claiming to know God's intention behind giving the law. So in verses 11 and 12, he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. In other words, if they don't let the Sabbath get in the way of doing good to a sheep, then they shouldn't let it get in the way of doing good to a person. Jesus is saying here that God gave the Sabbath law for people's good and so the law shouldn't stop them from doing good to people. So he's claiming to actually be honouring the Sabbath law by breaking it in, at this stage. And only the Lord of the Sabbath can do that. And he prove his, proves his authority and that he's getting it right by healing the man. Verses 13 and 14, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. So the miracle proves that it's Jesus who's in tune with God here. Jesus has the authority to go behind the law and even break it in order to uphold its ultimate purpose, which was doing good. Is Jesus against the law? No, he is more for the law than anybody. He understands it better than anybody. He is the master of the law, but he's not a slave to the law. Now, what does that mean for you and me as Christians? It means that we are not under the law, we are under Christ. But we don't ignore the law, the law is our friend. The law is a cruel master if it's your master, and being under the law makes you cruel. Like the Pharisees who went and started plotting to kill Jesus, they're people who are very law-keeping people, but here they are plotting murder. Being under Jesus is much better because you are free to live by the ideals of the law without being a slave to it. And you have a gracious master rather than a cruel one. 
So in contrast to the law, Matthew then sums up the nature of Jesus' authority in the next section, verses 15 to 21, and that is the ultimate authority is kind, not crushing. The problem with kindness is that kindness is not merit-based. Um, and people who, inc who are inclined to live under the law believe that everything should be merit-based. You get what you deserve. If you do well, then you get ahead. If you don't do well, then you fall behind. That's merit. And kindness gives things to people who don't deserve it. And that's a problem. Being merit-based and law-driven makes you competitive with others and cruel. Now, Jesus has just shown his authority over the law, and you would think that someone who's on top of his game, someone who's just bested the champions of the law, would press his advantage and rub their faces in it. Um, they started plotting to kill him. He should respond with force because he's got the influence and he's got the power and he's got the authority. Instead, what does he do? He withdraws. He keeps helping people and healing people, but he orders them not to tell anybody about it because he's refusing to build a power base. And so the question is, to what kind of person has God now given ultimate authority over this world? Is it uh, an alpha personality who rule a merit-based system like a bully by the cruel hand of the law, you know, I've got these standards and you can get somewhere in this kingdom if you, if you make the grade. No, at the end of Matthew 11, he described himself as gentle and humble in heart. He rules with mercy and grace. And Matthew explains that again here, in contrast to the cruelty of the Pharisees and the law. Um, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 42, the servant song, and this is the longest Old Testament quote in the book of Matthew, so it's saying something important. And it's summarising the nature of Jesus' authority. Firstly, it describes a quiet power. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. So here is the spirit-endued, beloved, chosen servant of the Lord, the apple of God's eye, who would proclaim justice to the nations, which means he would put the world to rights. But you might ask, how is he going to proclaim justice to the nations without quarrelling or crying out and with no one hearing his voice? Surely he needs to do a lot of shouting and bullying and pulling people into line if he's going to achieve anything in this world. But no, he's going to set the world right by the great act of self-sacrifice by bearing the sins and the shame of the world in himself on the cross. So the power of Jesus is not an alpha personality, big shot type power. It's a quiet, humble power. And there's gentle authority here. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. And in his name the nations will put their hope. Alpha leaders who rule by law have no time and no patience for weakness. You have to measure up or you're out. They break the bruised reeds and they snuff out the smouldering wicks because who's got time for weakness? But Jesus is strong enough to be kind and gentle. Bullies are bullies because they're weak and insecure. The Pharisees were nitpicky about the law because they were weak and insecure. 
But Isaiah says that the servant would bring justice through to victory and become the hope of the nations by looking after the bruised reeds and the smouldering wicks. And Matthew saw Jesus fulfilling that promise, being strong enough to carry the weak rather than crushing them. And if you think about it, it is really a wonderful truth that the ultimate authority that's now at the centre of the universe is strong enough to be gentle and kind. So here Jesus transcends the pettiness and the cruelty of the Pharisees' legalism. He is over the law. He's big enough to say what the law really wanted, which was a caring kind of righteousness. The problem with the Pharisees was that they underestimated Jesus. They didn't see the level of Jesus' authority. They assumed that he was just like them, he was under the law, he was keen to prove himself. They thought his kindness was a sign of weakness. We need to see that the authority of Jesus and the grace of Jesus go together. The grace of Jesus doesn't undermine the authority of Jesus because in the kingdom of God, that's not how authority works. Jesus is over the law. He doesn't need to be an alpha-style, cruel legalist in order to assert his authority. He's the law's best friend, but he embodies a deeper kind of righteousness. And that will change uh, a Christian's attitude to the law. If I'm under Christ, I'm not under law, I'm under grace and kindness, I don't have to prove myself and I can admit that I'm weak. And most of us, for a fair bit of the time, if you're anything like me at least, you're the bruised reed and the smouldering wick. I'm just smouldering. <laughs> I'm not doing much more than that. But at the same time, I will see the law as my friend and it can help me to live for Christ and it can teach me about living God's way even though it cannot condemn me. Respecting Jesus means respecting his grace and that means not thinking all the time about how good you are as a Christian. So if I were to ask you how are things between you and God... I think it is our natural reflex to think legalistically and to think about what we're doing right and how we're going and am I holding up my end of things. But if you see Jesus properly and if you belong to him, then things are great between you and God all the time, even if you're the bruised reed or the smouldering wick. You mustn't think of your relationship with God going up and down in terms of your performance, whether it be a sort of a modern evangelical law of Bible reading every day or some other law. You can be a bruised reed or a smouldering wick and your relationship with God is still secure because of the nature of Jesus' authority. You are never holding up your relationship with God by yourself. Jesus is holding you up. So we've seen here that rest doesn't come through following rules. Christians don't, don't have to have one day a week as a Sabbath. It might be a good idea to have one day a week as your Sabbath to, or some other arrangement whereby you get some rest and you be, you're with God's people and you're counting your blessings under God. But the real rest comes through the grace of Christ. Um, and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So let's pray that God helps us to see our relationship with him in those terms and to experience his rest. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we don't live under law. And thank you so much for for revealing to us that the ultimate authority at the centre of the universe is not a crushing legalistic authority, but is gentle and humble in heart. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, for that gentleness uh, with which you deal with us. We thank you that um, bruised reeds and smouldering wicks you, you take care of rather than crushing. And so we pray that you'd help us to proceed on that basis and to be secure in our relationship with you, knowing what you are like, even though we know we're weak. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.